Before I jump into my message, I've got a prayer request for all of you. Uh, I suspect many of you, if not all of you, have been greatly anticipating and longing for us to return to regularly doing congregational singing. And, and I get that. Trust me, I get that. All right. Um, but we have one additional, in addition to the whole pandemic thing, we have one additional obstacle standing in the way of that. And just to show you, if I can get it up high enough that you can see it, it's this box right here. All right. You see all the wires? Everything that is sound that travels by wire, my microphone works because it's wireless. Everything flows into that box, and that box tells it where to go. All right? Everything is getting to that box, but it's not coming back out of that box. All right? And as you might might expect, that box is not just an inexpensive piece of equipment. So if you would pray for that box... Uh, Spence is working diligently. We've contacted the person who installed it to determine if, in fact, the box is the problem and if the box needs to be replaced or if the box needs to be repaired. So if you would join us in praying for that box, we would greatly appreciate it because we're trying to figure it out. Last week, and part of what that means is when people are up here singing, what happens is you hear them but they hear themselves through these speakers right here. As it stands right now, they don't hear themselves the way that you would hear them, and it makes it difficult for them to stay in sync with the music. So if you just pray for that, uh, we know that God can do a lot of different things. And so that's one of the things that we invite you to pray with us about and know that we're working diligently to find resolution or to find a workaround. You saw the video with regard to the children referencing Psalm 119, and this is the third week that I have spent time talking about Psalm 119. And I know the video, you saw the video, some of you have seen it three times, some of you have already memorized the verses that it references. But I just want to say one more time, especially to those of us who are parents, Regardless of how old your children are, even if your children are adults and have their own children, you want them to make wise choices. You want them to do the right thing. And what that video said was, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And friends... We cannot emphasize strongly enough the incredible value of God's, of God's word. Today's emphasis is God's word is true forever. And we're going to look at some of the, some additional verses to Psalm 119. But we've looked at this one each week. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. And friends, I've included that every week. I don't think, obviously, I didn't show a slide last week, and I may not have referenced it directly. Uh, But that whole idea, especially in times of uncertainty, especially with all that's going on in our world today, for us to have guidance and direction is incredibly important. 
And one of the places that God suggests we look to for that direction is his word. As I have emphasized, um, the first week I talked about Psalm 119, I encouraged us to read eight verses a day, 22 sections in Psalm 119, eight verses each. I said, let's just read one each day. As I mentioned last week, and I will reiterate today, um, as I continue to read through that again, eight verses a day, the frequency of the mention of his word, his laws, his commands, his statutes, his precepts, all pointing to his word, is virtually impossible to miss over and over and over and over and over again. There is a tie to what we do in our daily lives and the value of God's word. And as we read through that and see it mentioned time and time and time again, it is paired with words like learn, learn his laws, learn his precepts, learn his commands. It is tied to words like meditate, not just read it, but allow it to soak in, delight in it. Again, there are times that I read God's word and it's convicting and I don't exactly delight in it, but I understand I need to be convicted in order to be where I need to be and to be who he created me to be. Talks about keeping or obeying time and time and time and time again. Friends, it's not enough to read it. It's not enough to learn it. It's not enough to meditate on it. It's not enough to memorize it and be able to recite it back. All of that is so that we might follow what it says, obey or keep it. So what I want to do briefly today is just focus on that title that we put up there. I put it up there for Lori's uh, message. I put it up there for mine. God's word is true forever. And again, if you're at all like me, slides like that go up. Because that's anybody, you know, we talk about, talk about what's new. Anybody remember when you didn't put slides up to talk? Huh? I mean, you just had to pay attention. I mean, and some of us, you know, the old chalkboard, you know. Uh, then we moved to uh, overhead projectors. Uh, we did flannel graphs. We did flip charts. It's interesting because all the fancy churches, you know, the big churches, the, the guys have gone back to teaching with flip charts because everybody's so used to that. They'll do a flip chart up here, and they will have cameras that put the flip chart up there. It's like... Okay, whatever. But anyway, so, but we we look at that and and we don't soak it in. And so I just want you to just look at that just for a moment. God's word. God's word. God's word. All right. Hold up your phone. Hopefully there's God's word on your phone. All right. You got an app. All right. There's an app for that. God's word. Friends, simple question. Psalm 119. 172 of 176 verses somehow reference his law, his word, his teaching, his precepts. Do you believe, do you believe that this is the inspired word of the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Do you believe that? If either externally or internally, you're nodding your head, yup, all right, then the question that must be asked 
is what's different in my life because of that belief. What's different in my life at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning because I believe this? Well, I got up my watch church. Woohoo! All right. What's different in my life at 12.01 Friday morning? At 11 p.m. Saturday night? At 9.15 on Monday morning when I go to work? At 5 o'clock when I'm driving home from work and some idiot cuts me off? What's different in my life because I believe that God's Word is really God's Word. What's different in my life because I believe what I read in Psalm 119, that the way to keep my way pure is to live according to His Word. What's different in my life because I believe that is the authoritative Word of the Creator of the universe. The next phrase is God's word is true. I know we don't like to do this, and I know it is not politically correct to talk in terms of absolutes. I get that. But friends, when it comes to God's word, either it is or it isn't. Is it true or isn't it true? Now, as I say that, Trust me, I've wrestled with all the same stuff you wrestle with. There's stuff in God's Word that I have to say I believe is true, but it doesn't make sense to me. I can't explain how it's true, but I have to make a choice. Is it true or isn't it true? The whole parting of the Red Sea. You know, I, I've read great scientific explanations. Well, it really wasn't that deep, and a, and a great wind came, and, and it was not really the Red Sea, it's the Reed Sea, and, and that's how it had. Friends, I, I'm not that smart. But ultimately, regardless of how it happened, I have to believe somehow that it happened. The idea of Jesus Christ dying on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin Somehow I have to make sense of that, and I have to believe that it's true, even though it doesn't make sense to me. The whole idea of Jesus being in the grave for three days and then coming out triumphant over sin and death, somehow, whether it makes sense to me or not, I have to say I believe that that is true. And so as we're reading through Psalm 119 and those, and those simple eight verses a day, We have to say, is it true? Do I believe that it's God's word? And do I believe that it's true? Because either it is or it isn't. And here's where the rubber meets the road. Based upon how you live your life, day in and day out, is God's word true or isn't it? It's not just what you believe here. It's Does what you believe here impact what you believe here and influence what you do every day, day in and day out? 
all of a sudden that simple slide that we could memorize and say God's word is true forever gets really, really complicated and convicting. And that's not a bad thing. And then God's word is true forever. I loved the then and now video. There's a whole lot that's different. But there's one thing that's the same. And that's God. God's word is intended to be an incredible source of stability in times of uncertainty. Friends, just wrestle with this for a minute because I know some of you, most of you, are youngsters compared to some of us. God's word was God's word before you were born. Cool. God's word will be God's word when you're gone. That's what we say we believe. God's word was true before you were born, and God's word will be true once you're gone. And personally, I find that incredibly comforting because there is so much that I just flat don't understand. The beauty of it is, I don't have to figure it all out because it's already been figured out. It was figured out before I was born. It'll still be figured out when I'm gone. God's word is true forever. Our passage for today, and that kind of zeroes in on this and emphasizes this by repetition, is Psalm 119, verses 89 through 96. And I'm just going to read through them just one at a time. Your word, Lord, is eternal, and it stands firm in the heavens. And again, very simple, but friends, this should be a source of confidence and security and stability in our lives that his word is eternal, always has been, always will be, and I can rest in that, and his word stands firm in the heavens. Now again, I suspect many of you are like me. And over the past six months, there's a whole lot that seemed like I was standing on a bowl of jello. You know, it was just, oh, oh, this doesn't make sense to me. But his word stands firm in the heavens. I've watched, all right? And to my knowledge, now there's a lot that happens that I don't know about. But to my knowledge, there has not been a new Bible issued that was changed because of COVID-19. There's not the COVID version. You know, it's funny because I was just telling Ron, I was was filling out some, I'm taking a class and I was filling out some questions about our church. And just about every question, I had to give two answers. There was the pre-COVID answer and there's the answer today. There's not a pre-COVID Bible and a today Bible. There's the Word of God. Your Word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Can anybody say amen to that? God is faithful, even though things are really, really mixed up. Messed up, maybe. 
But his faithfulness hasn't changed and it will never change. He established the earth. God said, there it is, and it's still here. Granted, things are kind of really wacky, but it's still here, and it endures, and he endures. Verse 91, your laws endure to this day for all things to serve you. Just soak that in a second. Your laws endure to this day. Your laws endure to this day for all things to serve you. This is to help us know how to walk with him, to serve him, to follow him, to live in relationship with him. His laws endure to this day for the purpose that we might all serve him. Now again, sometimes we kind of get stiff-necked at the idea of serving. You know, we, we see that as a bad thing. But to think that you and I are invited to serve, to live in a servant relationship with the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, the lover of our soul, Friends, that's not a punishment. That's not demeaning. That's an incredible privilege. And his laws endure to help us understand what that looks like. Verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. (laughs) Let's, let's just hypothetically, let's reverse that. All right. I ever, you ever wonder if maybe some of my affliction is because I've not been delighting in his law there there is a cause and effect there are consequences you know sometimes when I do stupid stuff and it frustrates me because things go south it's like Steve you knew it was stupid why are you complaining about it I remember years ago I mean we're talking ages ago Spence was probably there and so it was really a long time ago because we're, we're, we're both old. But anyway, no, we, we, I, I can picture where we were at. We were fishing on the Tequamanon River. All right. And I, I got snagged on the bottom. And you understand, there was a season in my life where I didn't have a lot of money to spend on fishing stuff. And I had a brand new pole that was not expensive by today's standards, but it was expensive because that was all I could afford. And I'm snagged on a log in the bottom of the river. And I'm pulling on it, and it's not coming. And I reached up, and I grabbed up on the rod here, which you never do. And I started to pull, and I thought, stop doing that, Steve, because you're going to break it. All right? And so I stopped doing it, but it didn't come loose. And I reached up and did it again. Sure enough, snap. My affliction in that moment was a direct correlation to my doing something that I knew better than to do, but I did it anyway, and there was nobody in the boat to blame but me. If your law had not been my delight, 
I would have perished in my affliction. And I just cannot help but wonder how much grief might I save myself if I consistently delighted in his law to the point that I avoided a boatload of affliction. Just throwing that out there for you to chew on in your own life. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Friends, I know some of you are probably hurting. You probably have hurts and heartaches current and past that I know nothing about. But you need to understand that God's precepts are the one and only thing that will preserve your life for all of eternity. It's just that simple. And it's that complicated. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Verse 94, Save me, for I am yours. I've sought out your precepts. And again, when we need saving, we can look a lot of places. We can look to a loved one. We can look to family. We can look to our bank account. We can look to our government. We can look a bunch of places. But his precepts, the teaching of God's word, is the only thing that will save us for all of eternity. Verse 95, The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. Now, friends, I wish I could say, Oh, hallelujah, that's my testimony. All right? First of all, none of you have probably ever heard me say that, so it's probably not going to happen. But when somebody's waiting to destroy me, my first response is not usually to ponder his statutes. Usually after I realize they're not just waiting, they're going to destroy me because everything I've tried isn't working, then it's, I wonder what God has to say about this. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. Going back to what we said very, very early on in my talk, what if that were my first response? What if I had meditated on his word and hid it in my heart so that when the wicked came, I already knew what the answer was because I'd already hidden it in my heart. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. First response, not last desperate attempt. Then verse 96. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. To all perfection, I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Friends, wherever you put your hope that is not God's word, there's a limit to that. There is a limit to that. The only thing that is boundless is the hope and the recourse and the instruction in his word. So I want to talk briefly about why that matters. I suspect we would be hard-pressed to talk to a Christ follower anywhere in the United States who does not think on some level we need God to move in our country and bring about real, substantial change. 
Some would call it a revival. A transforming movement of God in the hearts and minds of his people. Because understand, friends, I may look at the wicked and say, oh, God, you fixed them. God always starts fixing them by fixing us. If our country's going to change by the power of God, it has to start with us. Just saying. But a transforming movement of God in the hearts and minds of his people that overflows from our lives, overflows from our homes, overflows from our churches to impact our entire culture and our entire country and the world. There's an individual back in the day named Josiah. And his story is in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. You can look if you want. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but read it on your own after you've read your eight verses a day. In the years before Josiah came on the scene, the nation of God's people had been in a steady decline. All right? They had had a serious... Don't don't say amen to any of these, all right? Because it's going to sound like I'm talking about the news, all right? Regardless of what your political flavor is. But there had been a series of bad leaders. They had rejected the one true God in favor of a bunch of false gods and idols. There had been a season of persistent, consistent moral decay. They had even come to the point that they were neglecting God's ordained practices of worship and neglecting the temple that he had established as the focal point of their relationship with his people. Simply said, they were a mess. All right. Things needed fixing. And then Josiah shows up. And I would just say, Josiah shows up and actually becomes a good leader. The crazy thing is, and some of you know the story better than I, but the crazy thing is that Josiah became king at the age of eight. Now imagine our political landscape today. And if in the midst of all of this, somebody said, we're not going to vote red, we're not going to vote blue, We're going to vote for an eight-year-old. And we'd all say, hallelujah. We'd say, oh, my goodness. Things are just really messed up. But Josiah, because of his heritage, who he was the son of, he becomes king at the age of eight. Now, no disrespect to any eight-year-olds in the room or any of us when we were eight. But that's a little unsettling. I mean, you just think of the eight-year-olds you know today, right now. Are you ready to have them be in charge? All right. But because God was in it, Josiah is an eight-year-old, listened to good counsel, and he showed enough wisdom and insight that he remained on the throne for 31 years starting out as an eight-year-old. And part of it was he knew who to listen to and who to ignore. One of the things it says about Josiah in chapter 22, verse 2 of Second Kings, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. 
I think we got the rest of it. Sorry. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father, David, not turning aside to the left or to the right. Now, friends, again, some of you may not be familiar with this story. David was not really Josiah's father, all right? David was the last really, really, really good king. And what they're saying is Josiah, even as a child, was willing to be influenced by God to make the right choices and basically imitate the example that David had set. So this is Josiah, starts out as an eight-year-old, listens to wise people and makes good choices. And, and then we come to the, to where I wanted to get with this, and I, I just refer to it as the Great Awakening. As I said, things were a mess, a really big mess. By the time Josiah got to be 26, he'd been king for a number of years. He encounters the Word of God, and I'll explain this in a moment. He encounters the Word of God in a way that is real personal and life-changing. And he realizes many of the struggles of his people are tied to their spiritual disobedience, and he embarks on a relentless campaign to embrace the Word of God and eliminate false religion from his people. And the result was 13 years of spiritual vitality, renewal, revival, if you will. So what transpired is, as Josiah began to do the right thing, and some of you know this experience, when you do the right thing, there is this positive momentum that builds, and it becomes increasingly easier to keep doing the right thing. And at one point, as a young man who's been leading for some time, Josiah realizes we're, we're a mess spiritually. And the temple where our religion focuses is just, I mean, it's a mess. Literally a mess. So he takes his influence and he says, we gotta clean house. We gotta paint. We gotta get all the garbage out because it's just a mess. And while they're doing this, they discover Literally, they discover the scrolls containing the Word of God. And they say, wow! I mean, imagine, we haven't seen a Bible in forever, and it's like, wow! What is this about? And they take it to Josiah, and they say, look what we found. That's cool. I, I think I remember hearing something about that. And he begins to read it. And he realizes, oh, This is why we're such a mess. Because we're not listening to what God says. What might happen if we start to listen to what He says? And do what He tells us to do in His Word. And He's King, so He says, This is what we're going to do. And they go about every time, everywhere out in the countryside where they had idols for false gods. He said, Yep, that's not going to happen. We're going to destroy that which wasn't always popular. But he says, God's word is true forever. And we're going to follow it. And as he embraces the word of God, things began to change and get better and better and better. To where this is what they say about Josiah. 
Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. What a legacy. What a legacy. As he turned to the law of Moses, which was inspired by God, which was the word of God, things changed dramatically. And they stayed changed for years till eventually Josiah's influence was no more. That's a whole other message, good message, but we're not going there right now. Friends, the movement of God in Josiah's time transformed the people of God and their entire country. And I don't mean to be grossly oversimplistic, but it all started when they rediscovered and took to heart that God's word is true forever. Now, many of you know me well enough to know that it doesn't take much to get me to go on a grumpy old man rant about the state of affairs in the world around us. Okay? I I get that. I'm just like many of you. You just might not be as grumpy or as old or a man. But you know where I'm coming from. All right? And while everything we do in the human realm matters. What matters more is the spiritual realm. I mean, you have a responsibility to be informed. You have a responsibility to be politically active. You have a responsibility to be informed. But we have a greater responsibility to seek out what God has for us and what God has to do through us. And one of the most important ingredients in that process or steps in that process is to lean heavy, to lean hard, and to lean often into the Word of God. I find myself wondering, and I'll I'll make it about me, I find myself wondering for every minute I spend wiping, whining, griping, complaining, criticizing what's going on around, do I spend at least that much time looking to God's Word and on my face before God regarding what needs to happen in the world around me? And I can tell you, I'm not sure I do. But now that I've said this out loud, I'm pretty sure I better. Okay? God's word is true. And it is true forever. And I believe God is capable in moving in our times just as he has moved in times throughout history. I will not be so bold as to say I know what it will look like, but I know that he can and I know that he will to the extent that we invite him into the process. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank and praise you 
for your goodness. And I thank you that you have given us your word. And I thank you that your word is true. And I find comfort in knowing that your word is true forever. And Father, I know that you may not be calling any of us. I, I should say, I'm sure you're not calling us any of us to be Josiah. But I do know that you're calling each one of us to embrace your word as being true and to live according to your word and to allow your word to transform us from the inside out that you might also transform the world right around me, right around each of us individually. So, Father, I don't say it nearly often enough, but thank you for your word. Thank you for a word that is true, whether I understand it or not. Thank you for a word that is forever, because I can always count on it in the good times and in the not-so-good times. So, Father, stir in our hearts as only you can. We ask this in the power of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.